I mean, that's what artists do. We're kind of running a little ahead. We're kind of the messengers and maybe even the visionaries. This is a podcast about visual art at Auburn University. My name is Chris Molinsky, Director of Education at the Jewel Collins Smith Museum of Fine Art. Today is the first of several recordings from the inaugural Auburn Forum for Southern Art and Culture, which took place at the museum on February 3rd. This episode features Elizabeth Webb talking about her exhibition, A Bearing Tree is a Witness, An Oak is an Echo, with the great artist and poet Joy Harjo, the 23rd Poet Laureate of the United States, and a member of the Muscogee Creek Nation. You'll hear Joy talking first. This land here is uh, my family's ancestral lands. So it's interesting, there's a connection too with uh, her exhibit, you know, what, you know, what you're um, concerned with in your art, trying to express. Always, I think even with artists, I know with poetry, you're trying to express what you can't, you know, you, you can't find words for. And I think it's very much the same for artists. And um, we were gonna go to the Battle Horseshoe Bend grounds uh, where my grandfather, I'm six generations from Manahui, that's what we call him, or you guys call him Minowa. And uh, um, it's hard to go there. The first time I went there, I got bronchitis. I never had it before or since, and that's grief. And, um, but, so I have a connection here. I'm also a member of Ojibova Hickory Ground Ceremonial Grounds. So on the premises of the university here, uh, the bones of our ancestors, literal familial ancestors were dug up and um, they're in, they're in, um, I can feel them. They're in um, the, um, in a, in a building and they want to, they want to go home. So there's a lot of reasons, you know, coming back, you know, as you talk about land, so I'm very interested in what you and what everyone else here has been doing in their discussions. What, what's been coming up for me a lot is contradictions. Human beings are contradictory beings. <laughs> we all embody contradictions, and I won't tell you all of mine. But, uh, and the land too. I mean, the land, I think, of, I guess, in all of this and what I'm hearing and all of in the wonderful discussions that have been going on and in the art is... You, a major contradiction in, in this country and maybe the whole world is that you have a belief system in which, oh, earth, Iganajaga, mother, being, life force, being like you and me. And it's a, a she. And then the, the winds and the elements and the, and the animals and uh, the, the rock beings, where they're all have a presence and it's and human the two-legged human beings aren't above everyone else, but we're all in this place, moving together in a way and challenging each other. That's how we grow spiritual muscle. But here we are all together. And what happens when you have a system that said, "This is an it." Uh, you know, our God says this land was given to us. Earth is an it. It's resources. I own this. There are boundaries, you know, our family, oh, this is a land, we were talking earlier about land, what does land grant institution mean? 
and then we get to your work here, and this is, I think, too, what you're grappling with, too, and your and your work. We're all grappling with it, whether we know it or not. Is um, you know this boundaries land, um, you know, ancestors that were given no place, you know, were given no place, were chattel, and other ancestors who who owned. And so, you want to tell us, you know, a little bit something, you know, about how you're going about this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that, I mean, relating to what you said, I think about the scholar Mishwana Goman, who's uh, Tanawana Bend of Seneca, and she talks about that one of the consequences of colonialism is this sort of collapsing of the idea of land into uh, European conceptions of property, bounded property, and that actually part of the work is to sort of unbind these de definitions and to reopen the the idea of land as a site of sort of storied connection, um, and that that that's one of that's part of the work. Um, and so I I think about that as I grapple with what it means to be uh, in this place, um, which you know, as Chris mentioned, is a site that is that many people in my family call home um, or were, were born there, but it is not ancestral land for, for my family. Um, yeah, I mean, the starting point of the exhibit, um, so part of the, the Radical Naturalism series is, is inviting artists to sort of come and engage with the museum's extensive uh, collection of works by John James Audubon. And I had been thinking about... Um, in my sort of long research about my family's relationship to this area, I came across the field notes uh, from the 1834 land surveys of land that was in my family for a long time, um, land that held a plantation that was fueled by uh, enslaved labor, um, others of whom some of those people were my family as well, um, as were the white settlers. and. This, this moment of 1834 is also one of the heights of, of Muskogee dis dispossession um, and forcible removal. Um, and, and just after that is when my family sort of comes from Virginia uh, into the area and, and sets up this plantation. Um, and then that land is sort of passed down to the black side of my family and then it is lost uh, in all the ways that Blackland is often lost throughout the 20th century. Um, and so there are all these like layers and sites of contradiction and all of that too, right? Um, but these field notes really stuck out to me because, and I didn't really know what field notes were, but basically like pre-GPS um, field notes were used in land surveys in tandem with land surveys um, to kind of make tangible the grid. Um, the property grid that was being imposed upon the landscape. So trees actually would be the, the physical sort of manifestation of property lines. Um, and in land surveying language, official land surveying language, a bearing tree is a witness to a survey corner. And that sort of stuck to me, um, partly because of the ways that I think about um, Saidiya Hartman scholarship and thinking through landscape as a witness to histories that might exist outside of the archive, particularly of, of black women. Um, and in thinking about that, you know, there's, there's many figures that I feel like guide me through this, um, through this work uh, in my family and, and outside. And the story of paradise um, was one of those that sort of guides my practice 
Um, and she was a, a black woman known as being very beautiful, but she never allowed her picture to be taken. And so there are no recorded images of her. Um, and that's my great grandmother. And I think about sort of her, the lack of, of image of her, um, not as sort of a loss in relation to my family history, but more as an act of power on her part to sort of a refusal to be subsumed into an archive that maybe couldn't hold her in all of her complexity as a black woman in the rural South at the turn of the century um, during this time of ongoing violence. Um, and so really turning to the landscape that witnessed her life um, as a sort of alternative record of presence and listening to the stories of the trees, these bearing trees, um, the stories of the plants, the stories that the soil, you know, holds. Um, so thinking sort of with the land in that way. Um, and also the, these field notes to me, it's, it's sort of charming that people chose plants and, you know, natural beings to to be the sort of marker of the grid because that's a totally like ridiculous construct. <laughs> like trees don't grow in squares. Um, and like when you would, um, oftentimes the, the land would be cleared for farming um, and sometimes they would accidentally clear the bearing markers. So there's this process of erasure that happens with the landscape too. And so what happens when a tree of the same species grows like 20 feet from its original location? How is that sort of skewing the grid? Um, the root networks that happen below the soil were never bound to this settler colonial system of order. Um, and so I think about the plants and all of those, the ways that the, the natural world sort of, yeah, was never, never fully contained by this logic, um, but also then the ways that that extends to our bodies. Um, and then the ways that my family has sort of negotiated the color line. Um, so that's sort of like what the show is about. Thank you. <laughs> In a nutshell. <laughs> I know, you know what I wanted, you went right into that and I, I was gonna open. Tell us about paradise. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and you messed up my little question there. That's well, fine. <laughs> I can tell you more about her. Yeah. She no, had 13 I, children. 13 children. I mean, the story. That's what's amazing. I, I think it's like poets. I, I, at night, I go digging around, you know. I can go digging around in sounds. I can go digging around in words. But I go digging around in genealogy and history and pulling up stuff because I think of in our Muscogee Creek, our family, we go digging around. That's how you know history is through genealogy and the stories. That's what I like. The one thing that Lonnie, you know, and others were saying too about, you know, you've learned from talking to people, you know, we all carry history. And what happens when the kids are just, you know, watching these screens and not, you know, learning that they embody history and what they embody. So I was thinking, too, as you were talking about how trees are code talk, you know, they have code, they're coding, too, as are, and they're witness. The trees, too, are witnesses and have a lot to say about about what's going on. But I was wondering, too, about how the, it's really intriguing, those porcelain, that the porcelain that you're using as, you know, as a kind field notes. I was thinking, it was interesting, I was saying, okay, there's these Audubon prints up here, and you were telling me that it's the plants that you were most interested in because they're part of the field notes. The birds are too. Whether they're there, some of them might even be extinct now. And some of the plants, like when I come here, 
it's really sad. I see our I see our story roots and the medicine plants. You know, they're here. It's like, whoa, there's a lot of them here. And um, so I'm thinking about that, how this this way, how it may be why you chose to use porcelain and you've got light coming through. And then these different word the words that are, can you tell us a little bit about that and why porcelain and uh, the kind of, you know, the source for these, these words that are being broken are appearing through and some of them appear to be almost shredded. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and one quick thing about the Audubons is that I did the Audubons that I chose, as you said, are um, are ones that depict the plant life that existed in those 1834 field notes. But then also um, of those, I only selected the ones that were printed right around that same time. So Audubon is sort of participating in this uh, westward expansion and this desire to sort of order and claim and know and name, right, the different species um, that exist in, in the world. And so he's sort of part of this gridding too. Um, so I wanted to sort of choose those, the pieces that were actually physically printed during that time as well. But the, the porcelain pieces, um, I've worked with porcelain in a number of different ways over the years, um, but sort of, uh, yeah, it was I, one, one day I decided I was gonna make a porcelain document. Um, and then I spent years <laughs> making a porcelain document. Now here I am making more porcelain documents, but um, and my interest in that material is, I mean, multifaceted. Um, I'm interested in it. It is a material of the earth. Um, and so that is something that that is important to me. It's also a material that is known for its sort of preciousness. It is passed down often among generations. Um, it is something that uh, is is quite fragile and it's in the state that it is in in the show right because it's so thin but molecularly it's actually very strong and it's also known for its proximity to whiteness um, and all of those things were sort of at play and important to me as I thought about um, what it could do in in my work um, and also the other fun fact about porcelain is that it's um, it's sort of inherently not what it, it is like it, it um, for years, Europeans tried to replicate authentic porcelain. And so what we see as porcelain isn't really authentic porcelain. Um, and so that was sort of another layer that was important to me. But what what's, I do, I'm sorry, yeah, go what, ahead. what is, what's the difference with real porcelain and I, It has American. to do with the clay. We have, we have ceramicist. Bethany's, Bethany's. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I don't want to get off. I'm just curious. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it has to do with the, the clay body and the minerals. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, that were sort of present in a particular geography. And, sort of like in, champagne and sparkling wine. Probably so, yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Tastes the same, but. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but so, so I, for, for these pieces, um, I, I laser cut text into paper, into watercolor paper that's actually 100% cotton, which is also important to me. Um, and so the text that is there always begins as an absence, which is also important to me. <laughs> um, and then I cover it in liquid porcelain that is um, actually contains also paper in it because paper helps bind things, thinking about Bethany's work in, in that regard as well. Um, and in the firing process, the paper burns away. 
Um, so you're left with this incredibly fragile shell. Um, and, and the kiln creates these breakages. Um, and I was interested in how the kiln, that process actually, um, the work is creating this other map. They become these sort of topographies that are completely outside of my control as a creator. Like I, truly, like I'll open the kiln and it will be a surprise every time. <laughs> <laughs> True surprise. Um, and so thinking about how, like, how even if I create some sort of grid or, or structure, um, that it's always, always um, altered by the process itself and always outside of my control as a human. Um, the text on those pieces is, um, there are several different things happening on the text. They're outlined in a grid pattern, um, superimposed onto a plat map from the land um, that is just about 15 miles from here near Lochapoca um, that held a plantation for a long time that was in my family. Um, and so some of the field notes are listed in the little, um, the little, uh, the grid. Um, but then also in other parts of the grid, uh, their interviews with family members that I did uh, about their sort of interactions with the color line. Um, a number of my family members moved north during different parts of the Great Migration um, and had different experiences navigating the color line. Um, some of them were light enough to pass as white and did so. Others of them were light enough to pass as white and did not do so. Um, and still others found other ways to, you know, make a way for themselves uh, through, beside, underneath these systems of power and control, right? Um, so there are anecdotes in there where, like my great aunt Jane, who's the youngest child of paradise and who actually, she was the impetus for um, why I, I first searched for an image for paradise because she always wanted to see her mother. Her mother died when she was very young. Um, and so she's the one that told me the story about her mother and, and having no images of her. But Jane talked to me about how in DC, in segregated DC in the 1940s, um, your complexion could be sort of a range. You could be quite dark or visibly black, but if you could speak a foreign language, then you were able to access whites only spaces. So she had friends who would learn like a couple words of French, go see a movie in the, the white theater. <laughs> um, and so that they were able to sort of pass as um, not American. Um, my great aunt Irene, Jane's sister, uh, talks about purchasing a house in an all white neighborhood outside of Detroit in the 60s. Um, and they were denied uh, because there were covenants against that. Um, so they, they had a friend purchase the, the house on their behalf, and then they moved in. Um, and they became the, the first black family on that, in that area. Um, so the, all of these sort of negotiations of, of structures that are so related and intertwined with these colonial systems of order, um, but the ways, again, that centering sort of the ways that um, our bodies and the plant life and the natural world were never fully contained by them. So thank you for the 
I once when I, you know, I was going, I went into this re one recording studio working with an engineer and they said to me, they said, what is it? They asked me, what is it you want to learn while making this record? I thought that's really good. And one of them I learned to play. My first one, I was learning to play sax. The sec I learned to play flute when I learned to sing. And uh, so I was thinking, so in this exhibit, and you've got different pieces, you know, thematically kind of different pieces that you were working on. Uh, and is what, what did you, what have you learned since you began this process of, of you, could, you know, any of these different projects that you have, you know, illustrated here or present here is the better word. What yeah. is it, what is it you learn? What is it you're, I don't know that you can say you think you want to learn, but you know, I guess maybe what is your, I don't want to ask what is your obsession. I don't want to give that away, but, <laughs> but yeah, what is it, what is it you think you've learned and maybe what is it you still don't know enough? What is it that sits there on yet to be explored? Yeah. I mean, it all sits there still, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, I think I don't ever in my work, I never seek answers it's always more questions um and i go through these periods of deep research i'll like fall into a hole learning about the technologies of land surveying for instance for months and so i've learned a lot about that mm -hmm. <laughs> um but i mean i've learned that the first paintball gun was uh developed in order to mark trees and so like the violences of you know, the scope of a gun are related to the violences of the scope of the surveying instrument and the sort of systems of visuality that are imposed upon the landscape are, are inherently violent. Anyway, there's all sorts of little things that I've <laughs> learned like that, right? Um, and of course, I've learned about my family and learned about myself and, and learned about um, the land and the, the ways that people exist in this world. Um, but ultimately, it's always questions. Um, the process, like I never start out like knowing exactly what I'm going to make at the end, because to me, the process of making yeah. is so much about, um, you know, figuring it out. If I knew what it would be at the end, then I wouldn't make it because it would feel already resolved or like there would be no purpose. No, I understand. That's being an artist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, I don't know. I mean, I think there's still questions. I think, Ultimately, it's questions about what it means to be here um, in this place right now and how that relates to what it meant to be here in this place before and what it means, what it will mean to be here in the future or not here. Um, yeah. I just keep thinking, and I don't know if this is going to be a question. It's a question for everybody or a question is, I keep thinking of this land and the way that everyone has keeps addressing it in some way. And I think about there's a point where you can stand and look at Earth and Earth is a whole being and we're all in here together. But then what do you do? I mean, we're all working on it with this with this division and how and I keep thinking, well, the Earth herself asserts herself last night at home in the Tulsa area. It was in, well, it was outside the epicenter was outside of Oklahoma City. We had a 5.1 uh, earthquake fracking. You know, so the earth has, you know, has their own voice and what happens, I guess, to a people too, you know, I get, that's what we're all, you know, everyone is exploring is how, you know, how, you know, the impact of our thinking 
I mean, thinking is a living thing. That's how we wind up where we are. And what happens with collective thinking and the power of art to, um, I mean, that's what artists do. We're kind of running a little ahead. We're kind of the messengers and maybe even the visionaries listening to our ancestor, the ancestral lines that move through and the ancestral earth that moves through us because earth is part of our ancestral and of our ancestral self. And I keep thinking of that, that uh, video, I guess it's video or film. Film. Film, yeah. thank you. Okay. There's a difference. That film, <laughs> that, that is it seven minutes, you have it a certain seven minutes for a certain reason. And, you know, and it's directly tied to the presence and the experience of earth. Can you speak about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's seven minutes and 20 seconds, um, which corresponds. So it's, it's physical film um, that corresponds to 200 Ooh, 64 feet, I believe, of physical film running through the projector at 24 frames per second. Um, and that distance is equivalent to the perimeter of a square chain. And a chain is the, the baseline measurement in land surveying. So um, people would take physical chains um, and sort of plot out the land, measure out the land. Um, and so I wanted the, the film to refer to that and because there is a way that in all of the little square frames that make up this um, this film, there is another kind of mapping that's going on. Um, but I wanted to also sort of collaborate with the land in a certain way and and allow for agency, allow for the you know the earth speaks as you said, and um, allow for the the earth to speak in the film. Um, and so I actually part of the film you kind of see is is the burial of of the film um, along the boundary line, along the property boundary line. Um, and what happens when you do that is that the microbes in the soil actually eat away at the emulsion of the film um, because it's gelatin-based. So it's like jello, it's food. Um, dessert. Dessert, <laughs> right. Or in um, the South, it's salad, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also in Iowa. My mom's from yeah. Iowa, and there's plenty of jello salads. Um, yes, but... Uh, yeah, so the, the microbes eat away at the emulsion and they actually erase parts of the image. Um, and that's another sort of process that I can't control, um, or I, I can in very limited way in terms of the amount of time that it's buried, for instance. But which parts of the image are, are destroyed or remade um, or altered or sort of layered um, becomes something that the, the land decides. And the land sort of is contesting this, the visualization of the boundary you know, in the same way. Um, yeah. So where do you go from here in this exploration? Or do you know? I mean, I understand. Yeah. I often don't know what I'm doing. And I find it. <laughs> I find it as I go. Yeah, know? for sure. I mean, for sure. I, in terms of what's next, I mean, I, I always, it's like I work so cyclically, but like somehow kind of always moving forward, but also always moving backwards and um, sort of mining my own archive as I, do new things um and a lot of times i'll be like oh i'm doing something totally new and then i'll look back from it a couple years down the line and be like oh that was totally related to this yeah. other thing that i did um but i'm actually working on my first feature length film um okay. which takes up a lot of these these ideas um that are present in the exhibit but but will be uh, in in film form um yeah in film for form so what 
Yeah, well, so it will include um, the voices of of many of my family members talking about their their negotiations with the color line. Um, it will delve more into the history of land surveying and its connection with the color line and other sort of systems of power and control. Um, those co the connections to the myth of white supremacy, as well, um, but also always recentering the landscape. So, so that film, actually, the duration of that one will be one hour and 13 minutes and 20 seconds, I believe, um, which is the distance, the physical different distance around, um, well, half the distance of the perimeter of 40 acres. So sort of alluding to this failed promise by um, the U.S. government to black people, 40 acres and a mule. Right. So this sort of incomplete it's always slightly incomplete. My thanks to Elizabeth Webb and Joy Harjo for being part of the Auburn Forum for Southern Art and Culture. Video from all of the talks at the forum are available on our YouTube channel. You can find them on our website, jcsm.auburn.edu.